What's up? Welcome back to the State of the Arc podcast. My name is Mike. My name is Kason. This is episode five of our Bioshock analysis. Yep. Um, we left off after Arcadia. I don't think we talked much about Farmer's Market. Um, it's kind. Yeah. They're kind of intertwined, the Arcadia and Farmer's right, Market yeah. section, so I don't know how much we need to go over. Um, I do have the... Uh, like the history of for, of um, of the farmers market up here, so we can kind of talk about that and see if anything comes up. But other than that, I think we're just going to kind of jump into Fort Frolic, which is the section right after that, and then Hephaestus. Okay, that's probably as far as we'll get today. That's as far as you've played up to this point. Um, yeah, I finished the game uh, a couple days ago, so I'm ready to finish it off next week but i think we'll also well there's still a vote going on i don't know if well by the time this goes up maybe it'll still be up for a couple more days maybe <laughs> like one more day <laughs> you might have a few hours maybe. left after this goes up to go vote on what the next game will be <laughs> it, it currently looks like final fantasy 6 mm -hmm. is going yes. to win that vote yeah. so it will likely be final fantasy 6 that we will be talking about after bioshock so look forward to that um okay so let's take a look at what this says about the farmer's market here. All right. Established in 1948, the farmer's market was a lively and popular marketplace in Rapture, a place folks could go to obtain fresh produce, apples, melons, tomatoes, cheese, and other food products. Even pumpkins could be found being hawked by the vendors of the farmer's market. Citizens could stroll through the market's raised walkways, enjoy the wines at Worley Winery, or sample honey produced from the beehives at the Silverwing uh, apiary. That was one of the most annoying parts of the game, by the way, yeah. is when you have to, like, it, it, it's that part where all the, what the beehives are, and you yes. got to, like, put the smoke in to make the bees go away, yeah. and you go run through there, like, trying to, like, <laughs> find the thing. <laughs> like, guys are shooting you and trying to kill you while you do that, and you have, like, I don't know, 20 seconds, and then the right. bees come back, <laughs> and you got to go, like, hit the smoke button again, and a bunch of dudes come try to kill you. <laughs> it was a really annoying part. Got to get that bee spit. Um, okay, so when Ryan made the lush green parks of Arcadia only available to those who could afford it, he chose to leave the farmer's market open to all. Oh, why wouldn't you? It's a market. <laughs> Right. This was likely as not to disrupt the business of those who rented space from him there. Really? How did uh, how would it disrupt? Because that they're connected to each other, and so well, I don't understand. This don't understand is just that. justifying that uh, the reason why he left the free market and uh, is well the farmers market. Sorry, slip of the tongue. <laughs> um, is for a selfish purpose, not for an altruistic purpose. Sure. So it's not like, oh, you guys can have it. It's okay. I don't need it. It's like, well, I want things to function properly, and these guys are paying my rent, and I need them to earn money to pay me. So I'm then I'm going to let this kind of go. Hmm. That's how I see it. As the war progressed, each of the stalls were abandoned by their owners. Fruit and meat was left behind to rot. Some of the plant life became overgrown throughout the market. The winery began to flood. The swarms of bees in the apiary uh, now freely turned into a dangerous den for themselves. Okay. I don't really All think right. there's much to talk about there. Like I said, that was that's kind of connected. That whole section is kind of connected with the Arcadia section. You're going between the two, collecting things for yeah, the yeah. Uh, Lazarus uh, vector. vector. So, <clears throat> All right, so not much there. So yeah, Fort good. Frolic is the 
next section to talk about. For Frolic is this, so good. Yeah. <clears throat> this section Crazy. was like surprisingly really it's really fun. Like I really enjoyed this section. It's just one in which like the story doesn't really advance that much necessarily. No, no not at all. Yeah. <clears throat> in fact, I think he disconnects us from Atlas, right? Yeah, pretty and much. And so we can't, we have no connection. And so we just got to do this thing so that we can just talk back to Atlas again. It's almost like a filler episode of an anime or something. It's just a, uh, yes. not really connected to oh. the, the overall sort of like story arc. It's just like yeah. a fun side episode thing. <laughs> yep. Every, every uh, cartoon, anime, TV show, they always have those. Has that, yeah. And they're usually not very good. Um, but this one is. Um, so, yeah, essentially what goes on here is um, there, there's a new character that we're introduced to here who, like, jams our communications yeah. with Atlas and with Ryan both. And basically he's just talking to us the whole time. Um, uh, Sander Cohen is his Cohen. name. So yeah, we'll be talking more about him for sure. Um but let's go ahead and get a little bit of history here on Fort Frolic real quick. Okay. So every society, even one at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean, needs a place to unwind. A place where adults can indulge themselves with a couple of drinks, go on a spending spree with a day of shopping, take in a show, or try their luck in a casino. This is kind of like the Las Vegas of Rapture. Yeah, yeah. City within a city almost, I guess. Uh in Rapture, one such place was Fort Frolic, decorated in neon lights, torchere columns, and checkerboard tiles. Fort Frolic was a glamorous setting that featured everything from the fine arts such as music, film, and theater to the more salacious distractions such as strip clubs and gambling. Uh, the fort was run by Sander Cohen, an artist, director, gallery owner, and a real lunatic died in the wool psychopath. That's right. What, is, what does that mean? <laughs> died in the wool? Died in the wool. That's another died in the wool psychopath. Died in the wool. Uh, Throughout, out and out. Thoroughly imbued. Oh, died before woven into cloth. So Uncompromising, complete, unmitigated, <laughs> through and through. Sure, why not? Okay. Got it. Learning all kinds of new things today. <laughs> um, died in the wool psychopath is Cassandra uh, Cohen. As one of Rapture's most celebrated artists, he used the district as his personal platform. He presented a number of his works in Cohen's collection or on stage in the Fleet Hall. Every 5th of November, a large celebration was held to commemorate the founding of Rapture. In 1959, during the Rapture Civil War... Well, real quick, there might be a, something to that. Mm -hmm. The 5th of November? Is that when the... Uh, yeah, that's when it is that when the said it was founded. Parliament got overthrown? That's like a... Oh, really? Well... Like a, like the real life uh, history you're talking have about? Have you, you... Well, have you seen um, that one movie? <laughs> <laughs> v for Vendetta? Yes. Okay, remember, remember. Oh. Is it the 5th of November? Is that even wrong? I might be completely wrong. Remember, remember that. the... It's something like that. I haven't seen that movie in forever. Yeah, it is, is the, the 5th. 5th of November. That's correct. Yeah, and that... It's, um, it's a thing. There was like a bombing at... Um, Gunpowder plot poem, meaning explained. A traditional on the 5th of November poem was written by a famous poem. Blah, 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 blah. But it's all about, like, kind of destroying the government. Gun's poem. Right? 
alluding to the happenings on November 5th, 1605. 1605 yeah. The origin of Guy Fawkes. Yes. Police arrested a man known as Guy Fawkes. Okay, yeah. So The yes. gunpowder plot group. So it's uh, it was like an anarchist kind of thing, though, hmm. basically. So that the fact that it was the 5th of November... That might be significant. And you might the be founding right. of Rapture was the 5th of November, because that's when it's commemorated, right? Yeah. Um, that that has something to do with... <laughs> I mean, I only know it from V for Vendetta. I don't actually know <laughs> Anything the total history there. That. I just know that V for Vendetta is all about overthrowing the government. Yeah. That, uh, it's probably significant. That That's true. Mm. Um, okay. So in 1959, during the Rapture Civil War, Cohen closed Fort Frolic to the public, resulting in the closure of the theaters. And artists like Suresh Shetty and... Mille Blanche de Glace or Glace yeah. lost their jobs. However, Cohen promised the people of Rapture one final frolic. Oh. What the unfortunate citizens didn't realize, however, was that their time in the frolic would become a permanent residence. Cohen trapped many people in the district when he closed it off to the public, using them for his twisted works of art. So, yeah, that's. Yeah. <clears throat> that's Pretty much like what happens here is he sends you on a bunch of errands to go collect pictures of people he wants dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'm guessing other artists and things like that, rivals maybe. Uh, and he's he's assorting them into this sort of collection that he's calling like his masterpiece, right? Yeah. Um, obviously, he's become quite twisted. Uh, gone crazy like mm-hmm. most of the people in the city have. Um, I'm not sure what notes you took uh, from this. It's not much that well, necessarily lends itself to maybe the greater discussion of the game's themes and things like that, but I really did enjoy this section of the game. I, I did too. It's the first time in the game <clears throat> that I ran out of ammo. Oh, I yeah? was I was like <laughs> complete. I mean, completely out of ammo by the end of it, <laughs> and nice. I was like, "Oh my gosh!" So um, I got better after this point at making sure I was making use of powers and yeah, not just yeah. shooting things all the time and uh, being more careful with my ammo. But um, there, yeah, there's there's a, there's a lot that goes on here. There's a lot to explore. It's 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 a really fun section, and Cohen I thought was a really good character. Um, what what notes did you take on this? Segment? So I, I took a few notes, some of them being specifically, well, it's kind of confusing. I actually have like a page and a half of notes here, and I don't know exactly. It tends to be on a character said something, right? And then I'm uh-huh. like, oh, that's interesting. Right. Um, like, uh, for instance, there's this one line here that talked about how I, I wrote, Andrew Ryan understood the need for little sisters and big daddies. He just wished they could be more presentable. Mm. Right? It's a really interesting thing to say about them. Um, but uh, my first like line here about Cohen is when he calls us a moth and talks about being a moth to a flame. Yes. Uh, that line is fascinating because yes. it doesn't just describe jack in whatever situation he's in it also describes us as the player mm-hmm. right that playing games sometimes we're drawn in hopelessly and we can't help it yes. so we are like a moth to a to a flame where we just sit in front of like the tv screen that's just like a flickering light mm-hmm. and we're just like uh playing this game and we can't you know uh it's just what it is um so i thought that was kind of cool there's like a little meta like a dual reading there um 
But then, of course, later on, Cohen tells us that we're not a moth, that we're an angel. Yes, I, I, I thought that was And that's so, I mean, that's just correct, absolutely. Um, <laughs> so we're like an angel, and that's like the third or fourth time that <laughs> that's mm-hmm. kind of been hammered in here. Yep. Uh, so I think that's super, that's super cool. Um, and then we keep flashing memories throughout this whole time. Like, we keep getting these glimpses of, and more so, I think, here than um, anywhere else. I don't know. I guess until the next level. I guess they're becoming more frequent. This is when I started to notice. Like, we're starting to see these pictures right. and these ghostly figures and all of this stuff. And I believe at this point is when we're first introduced to the character Jasmine. Is it Jasmine? Let me look uh, up. Yes, Jasmine. Yes, yes. That there's a woman named Jasmine. She was uh, famous or something. She was like a singer. She had a poster up on the wall somewhere. Um, and then we had to get this story about how Jasmine sold her baby. And we keep seeing ghosts and images. And so, you know, what does that mean? That is the question. <laughs> um, I don't have a ton of notes here, but I do have just an absolute ton of notes just in general yeah. about what's happening and my thoughts as I'm playing the game. Yeah. Okay, so let's look at some of this dialogue here. So, you know, after he's sort of jammed your transmissions, uh, he's, he's showing some interest in, hmm, let's see, like, what you're all about, this new person who's come yeah, around yeah. kind of thing. He says, welcome to Fort Frolic. No need to thank me for jamming the transmissions of those boars, uh, Atlas and Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> Let them have their squabble. The artist, yes, the artist knows there is richer earth to till. For example, I test you, little moth, but for a reason. I test all my disciples. Some shine like galaxies and some burn like a moth at the flame. Come now into my home. Um, so let's see. We got some, got some diaries to go through here. This one's from Silas Cobb. You want to lock us in, old man? Well, that's fine with Cobbsy. I used to love you. I used to think you were a musical genius. You know why? Because you paid my rent, <laughs> you ancient <laughs> hack. <laughs> I liked that line a lot. <laughs> that's too good. I thought you were a genius because you paid my rent. <laughs> Come on to the record store. I'll show you what I think of your plinkety plank plank. So Silas Cobb is one of these artists. He's trapped in here now, right? Uh, This one comes from Cohen himself. It's called The Wild Bunny. The Wild Bunny by Sander Cohen. I want to take the ears off, but I can't. I hop, and when I hop, I never get off the ground. It's my curse, my eternal curse. I want to take the ears off, but I can't. It's my curse. It's my effing curse. I want to take the ears off. Please take them off, please. What do you take from that? I, 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 there's got to be what? something there. Like my thought is, um, I want to take the ears off. Like uh, the the idea of being an entertainer on the stage, like uh, the mantle, sort of, or maybe oh, sure. the um, the burden of like yeah. <laughs> having to entertain people. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, that's like the the most that I could really draw from that. Like. <laughs> He, he's cursed to be gifted at what he does or something, but like there's a burden that comes with that to always be coming up with something new. You know, like maybe I can relate to that to some degree. Like you, you, every week you try to come on and have something interesting and like <laughs> fulfilling uh, yeah. something to like actually <laughs> give to a discussion, something right. that will like make people think. And yeah. sometimes you, you're not sure if you have it. You're. <laughs> I mean, that's really the only, yeah. the only 
I don't know, thing I could draw from that one, but it, it was a memorable uh, diary entry for me because he's like freaking yes. losing it while he's saying this. He's like screaming it. You know, at the very beginning, I think it's in the second area, you see that the, the mask shop, the place that's just selling tons of masks. Um, and the um, iconic mask for that area, I think is a rabbit. It's like a rabbit mask. Yes. Um, and the idea that everybody, well, in certain places, everybody starts wearing these masks. I guess it might have been the medical bay. I can't remember. Mm. Um, but now he's coming here and he's talking about bunny ears. Um, that's true. Gosh. Those the a lot of the splicers wear masks yeah, that look masks. like that. So maybe that's what he's yeah. referring to. Do, do, do they like? I don't know. Now I got to look that up. I wonder if like there's some lore there where they, they like glue these things on their face. I don't know. <laughs> and it literally won't come up. Uh, Mix is typing. Maybe he'll he'll have yeah. something to add, but go ahead. Well, um, the, you just got like what is a rabbit. Like to your point, um, you talk about pulling a rabbit out of a hat, like the magician yeah, pulling right. the rabbit out of the hat. Um, and then he's the rabbit. <laughs> and uh, the, the idea that he can't get off the ground is like he can't achieve his purpose. Right, he's he's dressed up as a rabbit, but he's not a rabbit, and he can't be a rabbit, and so he wants to like stop the whole charade. He's not being who he's pretending to be. He's not lived mm. up to the standard that he set for himself, and so he just kind of wants the whole thing to be over. Yeah. Um, that's I don't know. That's the best I can do for that. Um, so we got Mixer saying, seems like the perennial dilemma of the artist, though. How do yeah, you yeah. constantly produce great, insightful works of art, especially given the idea that sometimes art takes time to be produced? Yes, yes. That's kind of what I pulled from it. But now that you, you're bringing this up, maybe it is all the way back to the medical pavilion that we well, saw people with us. And that makes me think maybe is. the, uh, the surgeon guy was like, the putting like grafting these masks yeah. onto these people's faces. I don't know. Well, well, there's another thing, which is um, this was the dilemma of the surgeon, where he's like, "Why isn't why isn't it beautiful?" Right? Yeah, like, right. He's trying to do his art, and he's trying to transcend. He's trying to break all the limits and do the best work that anyone's ever seen, but it's just not working. And he just he knows he can do it. He thinks he can do it, but for some reason, it's not working. Um, I see a similar thing here with Cohen. Right, where he's like, and that, that diary entry was Cohen himself, right? Yeah, that was Cohen yeah. who said so that. So it's yeah. another thing where he's like, I am the greatest artist who's ever lived, but for some reason my art isn't working out and people aren't appreciating it and it's not helping me out and I'm, I'm mm. broke and all of that kind of stuff. Like for whatever reason, I know I've got the stuff, but it's not happening. It's not like working for me. So yeah. then once again, you have the issue of the dream of the utopia and then the reality of just the death and, and destruction. Yeah. So on the wiki here, they had a link to a tweet by Ken Levine. I wonder if this will give us any context. Which sick employee wrote Sandra Cohen's bunny ears audio dialogue? Me, inspired by Steve Alexander's visuals. Oh, of course. I don't know who that is, actually. I don't either. So that didn't <laughs> yes, help. You know. I'd have to look. We'd, there's a whole he, rabbit he hole trying to figure a out. A rabbit hole, nice. Um, <laughs> I know. But pun intended. It could be a, a designer from the game itself that gave him some artwork, and he was like, oh, sick, let me... Let me write, some, write something along those lines. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm not sure what else to pull from that. Maybe somebody in the comments will have, uh, you know, like a good idea on that. Yeah. Thing. So let's read a little bit about Sander Cohen here. He was a Jewish American artist who lived in New York. Although information on his life pre-rapture is limited, some of the scant information we have tells us that he eventually became colleagues with an Elger Vankin and Mimi Tabor. 
It is implied that he converted them to the Ryanist philosophy since they began speaking of coming of coming utopia with an almost religious fervor. On the surface, Cohen was a celebrated artist, although he often had to stoop to pleasing the public rather than following his passions. Mm. It is suggested that the constraints that the public imposed on his work may have been a contributing factor towards his conversion to Ryanist ideals. During his time in New York, Cohen was good friends with Andrew Ryan, who admired his artistic ability and personally invited him to come to Rapture. However, it might be assumed that Cohen's talents as an artist was looked on by some as dubious at best, given his frequent run-ins with the doubters and Lee Wilson Stewart, or Seward's commentary that he was a fraud. After the nationalization of Fountaine Futuristics and the subsequent closure of the Little Sister orphanages, as well as the recently orphaned children um, caused by Fountaine's followers being sent to Fontaine's department store converted prison, leaving their children behind, Cohen took in the destitute children off the street. He began trafficking... Oh. <laughs> you were going to say something nice about him. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's interesting. He took them in off the street. The next oh. Sunday, he began trafficking the young... <laughs> like, oh my gosh, dude, okay. Uh, began trafficking the young girls to various individuals willing to pay the right price. Jeez. Okay. The majority were brought by or bought by Ryan Industries to be turned into Little Sisters. Before Jack arrived in 1960, Cohen had five disciples. These are the guys I think we go after. Okay. Although only four were encountered and mentioned in the game. They were Silas Cobb, Martin Finnegan, Hector Rodriguez, and Kyle Fitzpatrick. Cohen's fifth mm. known disciple was Elizabeth, who prior to the events of Burial at Sea, this is a, a character from uh, the third game. Elizabeth, oh. like the main girl. Oh, okay. I think. Um, spent two months undercover as a songbird in order to gain information on his human trafficking schemes. As with the medical pavilions, Dr. J.S. Steinman Cohen went insane, driven so partly by Adam and out of frustration for the lack of appreciation for his work after the Civil War. More or less, like, all we really need to know about this section. I, I, I'm, I'm trying really hard to, like, pull something interesting to talk about out of this, but it was just a fun video game section. It was. <laughs> that, like, you're kind of going through his little house of horrors and having to do stuff for him. And in, in, the, in the game sense, it's like a fun section. I, but I didn't take yeah. a lot of notes What'd you during think? the there section. Was the, guy, the guy playing the piano, who he's on the stage, he's playing piano, and yeah. then... He's got, he's there, he's having to redo it over and over. Oh, yes. He's an amazing pianist. Yes. But he was just like, please don't make me do it again. And it's yes. like, play let it me, again. Let me play see it right that. this time. Because uh, I had it up here, the script. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. Okay, yeah. So it's right here. So you enter the, there's like an elevator. You go up and then you kind of enter from the top of the, the theater kind of coming down the stairs. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah. And he's Cohen is saying, no, no, no. So it's Fitzpatrick. It was the fourth ah, of the disciples. Yes, of course. No, Mr. Cohen, please. And he says, silence, Allegro, Allegro, do, 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 da, presto, presto. No, no, once again, young Fitzpatrick, come down now, little moth, talking to us. Ah, yes, of course. Life, death, the burden of the artist is to capture. See young Fitzpatrick here on the stage, use your camera. Oh, because he, he killed him at that point. Uh, take him as he is now, so I may remember him. And now you've got Fitzpatrick after you've taken the photo. 
caught in his moment of glory. It seems you've got the eye of the stutterbug, or shutterbug, little moth. Now head to the atrium and place his photograph in my masterpiece, and so our collaboration commences. So yeah, you just, you go to each one of these guys, you kill them, you take yeah. their photograph, and then you put the photograph into the collection. Yeah, and it's crazy. And at the end of it, you fight um, Cohen himself. And this does remind me a lot of Dr. Steinman. Um, it's basically the same kind of thing. He's not like all that good. He thinks he's great. Yes. You know, this does lead me to a quote. Good. I was wondering when I could put Get some of this, this stuff in here. Um, there's a quote from Atlas Shrugged. Um, and this is really good. And you can maybe see a lot of these characters as trying to do something like this. Um, so this is from Dagny Taggart. She said, I started my life with a single absolute that the world was mine to shape in the image of my highest value and never to be given up to a lesser standard, no matter how long or hard the struggle. Does that sound like Rapture? Sure does. <laughs> Sounds like Andrew Ryan yeah. in Rapture. Um, he you'd never give up your own vision of utopia, right? That's a direct quote from Dagny Taggart, who is the main character of Atlas Shrugged. Um, that, it, that almost sums up this whole game. But you can look at people where it's like, well, what if you're... What if your vision of the world sucks? Um, Ayn Rand would say, you're, you are you. You can't be someone else. So whoever you are, go impose your will on the world, basically. You know? And mm-hmm. these people who aren't that good, I, I think it's really telling that Dr. Steinman is not like the best surgeon. And then this Joker Cohen is not the best artist. But here they are, just trying to will to power, right? They're trying mm-hmm. to will themselves into the spot. They're like, no, it's all of your problems. It's not my problem. It's your problem. It's you. And just blame, putting their problems elsewhere, trying to bring their world to life. But then you have all of these competing people trying to bring their own personal worlds to life within Rapture, which is the advice of things like the Fountainhead or, or Atlas Shrugged. Um, and that to that end, I think Ken Levine is spot on in, in his critiques of Ayn Rand. Um, but and I just put this here just to, to throw this out here there, but I do have to, because obviously this game is very hard on Ayn Rand. So I have to throw out a bone here to the Ayn Rand people because there is one, I keep using the word selfishness and I know what I mean when I say selfishness, sure, right? Yeah. But I don't know that everybody knows exactly what, um, what I'm referring to when I say, oh, selfishness, selfishness is a virtue, right? Yes. Uh, so I just have to like throw out a little scenario here that Ayn Rand I think would you know maybe agree with here. Um, so it sounds immoral on its face, but everything you consciously do is done in your pe- best personal self-interest, just like everything, right. even helping others. Uh, we talked about this back in the Metal Gear Solid. Um, episodes with the selfish gene, right? Yep. So if you save someone else in your group or your family and you die, it's the same as the genes protecting themselves in a lineage because they're related to the people around you in your in your lineage, right? Yeah. Um, but here's more to my point. If somebody selfishly wants to be the first trillionaire, their only goal in life is to have one trillion dollars. They have to further humanity in a big way. So think about the issue of cancer. What if somebody found a cure? What if, by making a product that everyone wants and that would make everyone's life better, he winds up making $1 trillion? What if he only wanted to make a trillion dollars to begin with? What if he doesn't actually care at all about people with cancer and only cares about having a trillion dollars, right? Ayn Rand would say, so what? 
his selfishness led to a betterment in humanity. His motives being selfish are irrelevant. In fact, where, uh, were he prohibited from becoming a trillionaire due to some government regulation, he may well never have cured cancer to begin with, since the government prohibited what he really wanted to do from the get-go. So she argues that allowing people to pursue their own selfish interests by nature of the free market in general leads them to have to provide a valuable service to their fellow humans mm. in order to get that. You want money? Do something people want. If people want it, they give you money. You got money now, right? Yeah. But if you want money, you go steal it from people, unless you're working with the government, um, you're going to wind up in prison, right? So it's not like you can't just take the money and then become wealthy, right? You can if you're a banker, lobbyist, or one of the, uh, what, military, anyways. If you're a group that is in with the government where you're not going to be arrested for whatever you do, yeah, you can, you can make a lot of money that way. But if you're just random Joe Schro on the street, you got to find a way to give people a service. And even if your whole motivation is selfish, you're, you, you're, you're being forced to give people a service. You're being forced to do things for other people. Yeah, well, right. I mean, because I suppose the point there is that in order to uh, sell something at the scale at which it would make that much money. It'd yeah. have to be something people really want. Exactly, or need, or, need or really bad, a right. life-changing, or a, an innovation, or something like that, yeah. Yeah. So, this is a quote from John Galt in um, Atlas Shrugged. He said, I wouldn't do it if I had no selfish end to gain. And this is talking about how he kind of helps out Dagny Taggart. I think this is later on in the book. Um and she's like, oh, thank you so much. And he just immediately is like, I, I did this for myself. right? Yeah. I didn't do this for you. But his selfish end is ends up uh, bettering other people. In some, not everybody, but some people. Um, so, But think about this, right? And think about whether this is true or not. What is a good or service that you love? Now ask yourself honestly, would the people responsible for that good or service have done it if they had no selfish end to gain? Like a video game. Right? Yeah, yeah. In fact, this video game. <laughs> would Ken Levine have made this video game? First off, he wouldn't have been able to. How many people worked on this game? Like 50? A lot, yeah. You, you think you're going to get 50 people to work for free to do your thing, especially with how hard this development schedule was? Oh, sure. And yeah. then, like, no investors, nobody, money, money was not a factor at all? It's like, no, that's not how this works. You got this game because money, people wanted to make money. That's why you have this game. Yeah. And right. if you really like this game, there you go, right? If this game changed your life, then somebody's selfish interests, you know, created a net good for you. Um, medical research, phones, computers, movies, food, drinks, houses, toys, cars, music. If you're being honest about it, there is the gain or the hope to gain something in every um, offering, everything that, that exists that's offered. Somebody else is hoping to better their own uh, selves through per their own personal self-interest. <sighs> okay. So, uh, is that it for that note? That's my, like, sort okay. of note. I've got other <laughs> stuff, but I mean... Because um, I want to jump in here because kay. I've read some comments um, mm. from the last episode and stuff, and I think we, we've tried, uh, I think on most podcasts in episode one to say, look, we're going to talk about certain topics. It doesn't mean we espouse those beliefs. Right. Oh, it dude. doesn't mean that we <laughs> condone those things or condemn yeah. them or whatever. Right. We're just discussing them in a vein of trying to get at what was the artist sort of trying to say with this game, right? right? And 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 uh, we may play devil's advocate. I know you tend to like to do that from time to time, right? So that's why um, that's why I'm <laughs> evasive. None of none of you guys know what I actually think. <laughs> um, so you know, when we're discussing things like 
what you just said. I hope nobody is confusing it for being like our own point of view. We're we're just trying to like sift through the tangled tangled weaves and uh, weeds and this yeah. this podcast has proven to have more than probably any other we've had so far yeah. as far as getting close to sensitive political topics oh i think um, so and so it's it's, it's been <laughs> <laughs> it's been difficult to navigate that yeah, yeah. without trying to confuse anybody in the audience um by saying yes like we're fully on board with this bad idea that we're talking about or idea that may seem like it's um, heartless or immoral or whatever. Um, but you know, we're also talking about getting beyond good and evil and all these things. Mm -hmm. So anyways, it's, it's, it's a bit of a tangled mess. And I just, I hope that, um, you're not reading too much into what we're saying, (laughs) uh, or, or or trying to like pull from it saying, Oh, I I think I figured out like what these guys believe or what their like ideologies are. Uh, anyway, the reason I'm saying this is because I'm now going to play devil's advocate to this point. And again, it's not necessarily because mm. I'm trying to condemn the point or condone the point, but just because there's a lot to, to talk about regarding that. And it is something I've thought about a lot in the past. I think we've even had conversations about it uh, a few years ago, right? Mm. Like um, the idea here being in a market like we have, right? Everybody needs money. Money is a resource everyone must have to survive. Yeah in the society in, in the society that we have right. so people do like you're saying they 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 work in their own interest and they produce goods that other right. that other people benefit from let's let's just talk about the video game example right sure yeah. would these people have made this video game For if there was no money involved right now no probably not <laughs> but that's only because of the economy and the construct that we have. Mm. Let's say we had another one in which basic needs were provided for and you didn't have to work for them. Then would these people be working on this game? Well, That's a different question. It is a different so question. So is it a question about whether or not people I should only say no. <laughs> do uh, hard work bet, uh, you know, just in their own self-interest because they're going to gain money from it? Or... Right. Uh, is it because of the the structure of the society that we have that necessitates that we work for our own good in, in yeah. a selfish way? I think at least in part, you're that's right. That's a good, I mean, that's a fair point. Um, I'm trying to think of what this <laughs> position I have elaborated would say to that, but it'd probably be something along the lines of this game didn't get off the ground without investors. Right. Right. Even if people did make this game, uh, who's going to market it, you know, like even if, so let's just say that these people were taken care of and they got to make this game. Sweet. They made a sick game, all 50 of them. How am I ever going to see it? How am I I ever going to play that game? Right. There has to be a market of goods. Even if we're talking steam, in which case in the situation you're talking about, there would be a million games on Steam every freaking week, right? Sure, yeah. Because everyone can do whatever they want. I, I personally would never have even heard of this game. I would never have. Nobody would ever talked about it. It would have come and gone, and it would have just been. I'm not. I'm not so you know. sure because, like, again, this is all hypothetical. We're we're living in a in a fantasy world, utopia, right? in which there is no yes, post scarcity, <laughs> yeah. in which you know nobody, nobody wants has anything. to. Yeah. go to work for their basic needs, right? Right. I, I, I would 
along the philosophy in which I've been um, espoused to now for years on this podcast, in which boredom would be the ultimate sort of like, like at some point you just need a challenge. You need yes. something to do yes. or else you're going to go crazy. Otherwise, you don't So I think people would begin to pursue problems, uh, whether it be engineering problems, whether it be uh, just art, whatever it is that they're passionate about, that they want to learn more about just for the sake of doing it. Just because doing nothing is a lot worse <laughs> than uh, going out there and, uh, you know, uh, expanding your mind and doing something good. Um, right. and, and in this case, it wouldn't necessarily be for a selfish reason, though there is another point to be made that maybe they want something more than just what is provided. But my point is, I'm not convinced that uh, under different circumstances, in terms of like a society, that people would not do hard work or build platforms or whatever it, because you're mm -hmm. talking about there wouldn't be a, a, a platform out there for which to market it or to show it to others. Right. In fact, Some he said himself that he wishes he could have just made the game and put it in a box. Yeah, and, right. And so it's like, were, he t were his baser natures to have been satisfied, we would just never see this game. Sure. <laughs> it never yeah. would have happened. He, right. he was forced by money to give this game to us so that we could enjoy it. Right, and that's because the world we do live in necessitates right that, but i'm saying that, that yeah. he, is that if if he had all of his needs met and didn't need an investment and didn't mm -hmm. need then he already told us what he would do he would put right. this game in a box and nobody would ever see it sure this game okay so you're saying for this game that yeah uh, since we're you that that happens to be convenient since we're using that <laughs> as an example and we happen to have his words on the subject i mean like uh, certainly i think people would take up game making as a hobby yeah. and would be willing to share it. And if people liked it, they would share it with people right. and it would have a viral effect of some sort, you know. But also what about the pressure, right? What about all the employees? What about how people did not enjoy working on this game, right? Yeah. He, he was really kind of cracking the whip and like really making people's lives hard to make right. this game. That was, um, that was due to the investor yes. market pressure. If that didn't exist and they could then take this game would be massively a lot different, longer. Yeah, yeah, it would be. I yeah. think it would be a lot yeah. different. It probably would be better. <laughs> well, maybe. Because I don't know. Once a game sells 25 million <laughs> units, it's like any change to it, well, the likelihood that it would make it a better game is unlikely. Well, any change would probably make I, it worse. I guess what I'm, <laughs> what I'm referring to is like... Like more polished. Well, right? yeah, yeah. More yeah. polished, more um, fleshed out, more like, oh, we didn't make this choice, or this was something that was too risky to do for the project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those types of artistic yeah, yeah. decisions, mostly what I'm talking about. Um, and, and we would have taken longer to do it Right. Uh, he wanted six more months. He would have gotten it because they can. Work he would have gotten it. ten more years. You know, sure. he'd probably still be working. On it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the other point too. Is like there's no pressure to release it, and you can no, always keep. You can just keep improving. You know, yeah. messing with it, and anyway, you you can paint over something that was wonderful and actually ruin it at some point. Right? <laughs> but I don't know. I, this is a bit of a tangent, but it I just kind of want. I kind of wanted to throw it in here just because. Do you know why um, I even brought this up? Sure. Because I'm not satisfied with any of my explanations so far. <laughs> I keep re-listening to it, and I'm like, ah, this isn't right. The Rand people are going to be upset. The anti-Rand people are going to be upset. I'm yes. not doing either point justice. I'm like, I'm trying really hard, but at some point, I probably should just like give up on it. Like, Because <clears throat> I can't really steel man either position perfectly. No. Like, it's really hard. I'm trying. Um, and I keep thinking... Like, I think this is just like Dr. Steinman. I'm like, I got the ideas. I know it. And then I say it. And I'm like, ah, that wasn't quite, that wasn't quite right. Yeah. 
It's, it's not easy. But again, the point of the podcast is not to claim mm. that we're the experts on right, philosophy yeah. and science <laughs> and everything. It's more yeah. like a conversation starter. Um, and, you know, we, we do our best to, to get, I mean, we learn a ton from people in our comments and people oh, who come on the show and, and guess uh, and things like that. And so, um, you know, totally open to that. So please continue to send, uh, your comments. We, we really appreciate them. Um, but just realize, just understand, like it is never our business or even or ever our intention to get up here and like dunk on someone's ideology either side. as much as yeah. it is to explore it and just kind of try to talk about it. Yeah. I just want to understand it better. Yes. Yeah. Understand it better. Try to follow it to its conclusions. We're not condoning or condemning. We're not trying to be, you know, judgmental or anything like that. We're just trying to start a conversation and neither of us are going to have the right answers to, <laughs> you know, th it's these very complex problems yeah, that, that are you know being brought up here and neither will Ken Levine. That's the point. Like it, it doesn't have to be perfect. Like he doesn't right. have to understand Ayn Rand perfectly. Right. He has to just get you thinking about it. Right, that's that's yeah. what good art does. It gets you to think yes. about concepts like this and to, you know, get to a place where you feel like you have the right answer for yourself. You know, make that choice for yourself. So yeah. anyway. I want to bring up one other thing, too. We skipped over this briefly, but um, in editing and so forth, I had discovered some interesting things about the the person who was, like, crucified and all the, the blood. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. We missed the death um, we we misnamed the location, I think. I think I said it was in Arcadia, but it's oh, actually a different area from earlier. Okay. It was sort of from um, the second level, I think. But okay. Anyway. Well, it turns out this smuggler, what this smuggler was smuggling was Bibles. Now, I mentioned yes, there was right. a dead person and that there was a Bible, but I didn't mention that this was a smuggler. Yes. And this is where it was like, th this was the capital punishment that got introduced. It was crucifixion and also hanging. It's like a mix between... The modern, well, pre-modern, I guess, but like, you know, the medieval punishment of, of hanging and then the ancient punishment of crucifixion. And I, our Andrew Ryan is like bringing those both back, right, mm -hmm. in this structure. Yep. And the reason he's doing it is because they're bringing religion um, back into rapture, right? And he's just like, you cannot do this. And it's so funny. There is a country that does things like this today still. Mm -hmm. uh, there's probably a couple. But one I can think of is North Korea. Yep. Um I think his name was Otto Warmbier. He went in there and he brought a Bible. If, if you're going to North Korea, guys, don't, don't bring a Bible. Now he thinks he's serving a greater purpose, so that's fine. Um, but they took him and they killed him, you know, and it was a very public display too because they didn't do quite this to him. Basically what they did is they took him, they beat him in a prison for like a month until he basically became a human vegetable. Jeez. And then they shipped him back. To, they gave him back to America in that state and was just like, oh, here you go. Here's this guy. He broke our rules. And it became this huge news story. But I think that's what they wanted is like this big show of like, this is what happens when you break our rules. Right. Mm -hmm. And you can see this kind of thing only happens in like extremely dictator environments. Right. Where there's like a hard, 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 like heavy government presence. Right. That's when yeah. this kind of stuff happens. Right. It's the. It's when the extreme ideology uh, and, and the person leading that movement sort of like when they get the power that they're seeking for, right? Yeah. Uh, they will justify basically whatever. Whatever it is. In matter. order yeah. to uphold the ideology, which is like their religion. Yeah. Oh, totally. And in so, North Korea, 
Because Kim Il-sung, there's an immaculate conception idea with him. Yeah. He was born from the mountain, from Mount Pektu. He was born within the cave and he emerged. He has no, his father is the land. His father, or mm. his mother, I guess. His mother is is Korea. And he is just a child of the earth, right? And so, they, but it is, it's very religious, right? But the religion is the state. They yeah. are the same thing. Right. And I've never seen, all the communist countries tried to do that. They tried to get people to worship the state the way they worship religion. It never worked out, except in North Korea. And I don't know yeah. exactly how they were able to make it work, but yeah. somehow they did. Yeah, so, you know, <laughs> the, the, the trouble yeah. with ideological extremes is that they're, they're uncompromising. They, they do not believe that they can be wrong right. about the things that they believe. And when you get to that point of being uncompromising, you can't work with those who disagree with you anymore. <laughs> and that's what it takes to live in a society is compromise. Oh, what is it? There's the, oh, it's a line from Game of Thrones, I think, that you cut out a man's tongue, not, what is it? Because you fear what he has to say. Yeah. That's essentially it. Yeah. You, you silence somebody because you fear what they have to say. Yeah. Um, and that's it. That's the whole idea of the ideology. Because your ideology can be corrupted by other ideas. Yes. Right? So if somebody else's ideas get in there, it's like, oh, no, those ideas are illegal. Yes. You can't have those ideas here. And so you have to, you know, silence yeah. people. So anyway. All right. You can't let's... become that uncompromising. So uh, I wanted to ask you this. Mm -hmm. Did you fight Sander Cohen at the end of this section? I did, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So did I. Um, yeah, yeah. can you not, you can, you can just not kill him. Yes. Um, and, uh, mm. I only found this out. <laughs> I never thought well, that. that's the, that's the thing. I was kind of playing the game brainlessly. Um, okay. I, I mean, nothing told me to well, kill him. Like he was just to walk, a flame. He was just walking. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. He was walking down the stairs. I was just like, I despised the guy right, and I evil. wanted to kill him because the game made me kill people that I don't think I would have killed. Right. If I were in that situation. I just wouldn't have done it. Yes. I would have just gotten the bathysphere and like gone back up or something. <laughs> like a screw this, I'm done. Well, I guess based on what we learned, which we're going to talk about in this episode, the, the big spoilers are coming off the table. He doesn't really have a choice. I don't right. know. Does Sander Cohen ever say the phrase, would you kindly? I don't think he does. I don't think I don't believe I he does. So I, I didn't know to look for it when I played it. So I can't remember. Yeah. So maybe you could say that this was coercion as in, Jack has to see the mission through because hmm. that has been spoken to right. him by Atlas at some point, right? And we're gonna get into this in a minute, but I'm just trying to think through like why there's like no option other than to basically do what Cohen tells you to do, to kill these people you don't even know. Like that was the reservation I had playing through this. Like, I don't wanna do that. Like, I would not do that. Uh, the, he, he's telling hmm. me, okay, you're gonna go kill these guys, take pictures of them and like put them into this little art gallery yeah, thing why for me. We, why why the fetch would I that? do that? Right? Well, well, like a moth to a flame, you just were drawn in. You didn't... Nah, that's crazy. So yeah. when I realized that there was no other choice, talking about the in the game, like to, to progress in the game, I had no choice but to do this. By the time Cohen was walking down the stairs in that really showy, you know, way, I just... I wanted to kill him <laughs> because the game yeah. made me kill the other people and I didn't want to do that. Okay. okay. So huh, that was, that. I, but I wasn't thinking about it that hard. I think two, that was two just. Two wrongs make a right. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that was just what was happening under the hood in my yeah, brain. Yeah, without realizing it. Yeah. yeah. So, but later I realized in an, in, a, in an area later on, you go into Sandra Cohen's apartment no. and there's a door that's locked. 
that you cannot get into if you kill them here. Oh, no way. There's like a whole area, because I, when I played it, I like explored every room. Uh -huh. I like used the map, and I made sure to go in every room and explore okay, yeah, every yeah. place and grab everything I could find and made sure that I was doing everything. Huh. Uh, not necessarily completionist-wise, but just okay. at least going into every room to right. see what's there, hmm. to find any extra diaries or whatever might be in there. And uh, I couldn't get in there. I couldn't get in there. I, I kept trying. I was like, why can't I get in this door? Maybe I'm supposed to go from that way and then I can unlock it from the mm. other side because you can do that for some doors. I could not find a way to get in that area. Wow. And it got to the point where I had been playing for like an hour and a half, could not figure out how to get in this, in this place. Okay. I was like, fine, I'm looking it up online. And it was like, oh, you could have you not can. killed Sander Cohen. Yeah. I it never him. even fetching occurred to me. Me neither, dude. <laughs> me neither. I didn't think it was a possibility to not kill him. I was I, like, oh, of course we can. He's him. the boss of oh, the area, that's crazy. right? Okay. So, yeah, um, that's what I was going to read here. Huh. Uh, after the player completes the quad, quadtich, I don't know. That's another word I don't quad know, tich, but the, yeah. the gallery well, for, thing. Yeah, people. Right? Cohen finally reveals himself among a host of spotlights and confetti, descending the staircase in the atrium of Fort Frolic to congratulate Jack on his work. Cohen then rewards Jack by opening one of the glass cases near the stage. See, I didn't even let him get down the stairs. I started shooting him almost as soon as I saw the guy. <laughs> I can't, I think I did too, but I can't remember if he went all the way to the glass. Yeah, he, he just walks down the stairs uh, and opens the glass. Uh, and he does say to you earlier, there was a mm. line of dialogue here I was going to read. Um, where he says he, he's going to send you on to Ryan. So I just had forgotten mm. that, I guess. Um, see, he says here, I know why you've come, little moth. You, you've your own canvas, one you'll point or paint with blood of a man I once loved. Yes, I'll send you to Ryan, but first you must be part of my masterpiece. So he was going to let yeah. you go kill Ryan after you helped him. And I guess huh. I just forgot that. <laughs> <laughs> well, who, everyone goes back on their words though nobody actually yeah nobody in this game exactly right like I, constantly I, people are always lying to you and yeah. using you and telling you things and then going back on it and, and betraying that's, you and that's whatever. ken levine's take on selfishness right ayn rand's idea of selfishness sure yeah. so anyways but i i just started shooting him as soon as he started walking down but apparently he'll open the the thing uh the glass case on the stage if the player chooses to attack cohen the former fights like a Houdini splicer, which is the boss fight mm -hmm. that I did, teleporting around the area and throwing fireballs at the player. If the player chooses not to kill Cohen at Fort Frolic, then Jack will encounter him later in his apartment at Mercury Suites. Mm. There, Cohen welcomes him into his home, saying, come into the light, little moth, come in. Okay, so by the way, Mercury, Mercury had something to do with light, with fire. It's funny that in the Mercury Suites is, is the... The yeah. moth being drawn to the flame, right? Right, yeah, yeah that's pretty interesting. Um, Jack enters and sees two Houdini splicers dancing to the music of Precarious... Now, so that was still there, just it, Cohen wasn't there. So oh, these, okay. these dancing splicers were there. They're just like, they totally ignore you. You can right. walk right past them, they won't kill you huh. unless you shoot at them. If the player disrupts the dancers and kills them, Cohen will then descend from his room upstairs and attack Jack. However, if the player leaves the dancers alone, then it is entirely possible for Cohen to survive the events of Bioshock. Mm. There is, however, an interesting glitch. If the player kills Cohen in his apartment and then returns to Fort Frolic via Bathysphere, Cohen is still alive and able to be killed a second time. <laughs> <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> uh, that's crazy. If you so wish. Right? Yeah, I guess so. So anyway, 
just something that I thought I'd throw out there. I, I wish I had not killed him now. Yeah, I guess so. I didn't realize that was an option. Yeah, because there was oh. a whole extra set of events there in another later area that I wasn't able to see because I just blew the guy's face off the second <laughs> I saw him coming downstairs. <laughs> he was a jerk, though, in your defense. I, I did not. I, I don't, yeah. yeah. He deserved to die. And I didn't like that I didn't have a choice. But I, I wish maybe that's something, that had they had more time to work on the game, they would have allowed you to team up with the dudes yeah. to like go oh. after Sandra Cohen with them instead of having having to kill them. It would have been nice to have some kind of choice there. You yeah, know? some option. Though, I don't know how well that plays into the whole scene with Ryan that we're going to talk about here in a few minutes with mm. a, a, a man chooses a slave obeys. Oh, yes. If they give you too much choice in the game, I wonder if that would kind of like, you know, ruin that. Yeah. But... Anyway, Interesting. something to chew on. I don't really know what else to talk about in yeah, this section. Of the other game. than at this point, I began. So these images that I kept seeing, I, I am seeing something along the lines of um, that their flashbacks. It was around this point that I started to, to think that we were kind of um, the subject, that we were the the ones projecting these memories outwards. Um, and then they did talk about Jasmine who sold a baby. Yes. Right. And we keep seeing ghosts and images, right? So anyways, I just kind of wondered about that. But one of the things was that Jasmine was married to Andrew Ryan Mm -hmm. and she had a baby and the baby got taken away somehow. The Mm -hmm. baby got taken away. I can't remember exactly how. Um, but yeah, I think you learned that in Fort Frolic. Yes, I've actually got some of that dialogue here. So there's actually, let's go through a couple things here. So first of all, there are some good diaries um, like this one, but it kind of goes over points we've already talked about at length Mm -hmm. in earlier episodes from uh, Bill McDonough. Uh, the good people are McDonough. Maybe it's McDonough. I don't know. Sure. The good people of Rapture didn't sign up to see us government types shutting down shops, killing their owners, even with a ponce like Fontaine. Uh, but he, but he bring, but he's bringing it upon himself. Instead of uh, copping it on the chin, Bugger gets into his, gets into his head that he's gonna go down guns blazing. That that's kind of like the whole thing that we've been talking about like when when push came to shove ryan didn't uphold his ideals he betrayed him to try to keep yes rapture like keeping rapture was more important than the god of his free market ideals right in the end so he was a hypocrite yes um who does he think he is john bloody wayne we can get on top of this we can here's what we do we find fontaine's will and make what was his go to where it was intended and not into the pockets of us that put him in the ground. Um, so anyway, just more of that kind of stuff, uh, the, confirming what we already talked about. Mm-hmm. Now we have a part here where Jack enters the Eve garden and sees the ghost of a dancer. We have Jasmine Jolene. Well, if it isn't the long lost Andrew Ryan, come here, tiger. So she had some kind of relationship with him, right? Uh, Jack follows the ghost behind the scene. Jasmine Jolene, I thought you had forgotten about poor Jasmine, but I'm glad you didn't. Jack comes to the closed door, behind which the voice of Jasmine is heard. After her speech, the door opens. Jasmine Jolene says, I'm sorry, Mr. Ryan. I didn't know. I didn't know Fontaine had something to do with it. 
I, what are you doing? No, don't, please. I loved you. Don't, don't, please. No, no. And Jack finds a, 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 that diary next to a corpse. Right. Th- this diary. Uh, it's called Pregnancy from Jasmine Jolene. That creepy Dr. Tenenbaum promised me it wasn't going to be a real pregnancy. They just take the egg out uh, once Mr. Ryan and I had, and then she trails off. I needed the money so bad, but I know Mr. Ryan's going to suss it out. Going to know I wasn't being careful. Going to know I sold the... Mr. Ryan's going to be so mad at me. So she was Mm. paid to get with Ryan and then sell the the child, the the egg, I guess, to Tenenbaum, who used it in whatever experiments she was... She had going on. Yep. Um, Ryan found out somehow. Yeah, and so he killed her for it. Um, I don't know. We'll talk. We'll save talking more about that for just a little later. You I could guess. also <laughs> see. I don't know. It was her, her, her fulfilling her own self-interest. But then Andrew Ryan is like, no, only my self-interest, right? Mm-hmm. Um. Okay. <clears throat> so let's take a look at the history of Hephaestus here. Hephaestus, home of the Hephaestus Power Facility, is the main power production source for Rapture. It is located at the southern end of the city, designed by Andrew Ryan. It harnesses the heat from geothermal vents on the ocean floor. Hephaestus was one of the initial facilities built in Rapture. Without it, Rapture could not have been powered. Hephaestus also contains the private office of Andrew Ryan. In the post-construction era, many of the specialists who built Rapture worked in the various workshops or became maintenance employees. During the Civil War, the facility was continuously attacked by rebels, as taking control of the city's main power source would have granted them victory in the war. Many workers were killed during these attacks, and a number of attempts were made, even, uh, were even made on Ryan's life. Adam's sickness and increased paranoia of being murdered led to workers killing each other, and the workshops are now littered with the corpses of people who once kept Hephaestus functioning. Mm. So, yeah, this is essentially the main power source of the city. And um, I remember watching, because in the remastered version of the game, one of the collectibles in the levels is um, behind-the-scenes commentary from, uh, oh, it's really? actually Jeff, uh, what is his name? Uh, Ke- Keegley? Ke- what's his name? The, the journalist. Keely? Yeah, Keeley. Oh, yeah. Jeff Keeley is interviewing Ken Levine and another mm-hmm. developer on the game and talking about it. And there's a whole bunch of them you can collect. And so one thing they were talking about was that it felt right that uh, Andrew Ryan would live and work in like this industrial area of rapture, right? Yeah, That's like yeah. where, he, where he'd feel most at home is in the place of industry. Yes. And so With this like is... the core, the big core. Yeah. Yeah, right. So... This is finally the carrot that's been dangled in front of us the whole game actually being given. <laughs> We're allowed <laughs> yeah. to actually get to Andrew Ryan at this point. Yeah. Um, what notes did you take during this section here? Uh, well, initially, when Andrew Ryan talks to us again, and this is not long after learning about the whole Jasmine thing, um, Andrew Ryan brings up that we have a mother and father, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's clear at this point that's why we're here. The reason we're here is because of the mother and father, not... Uh, well, no other reason, right? Now, it's obviously, I had inklings earlier on that we were the child that was brought up, um, but I still didn't know the specifics. I still don't know the relationships of everybody else, right? Yeah. Um, And then there's a girl that one of the first um, kind of 
audio recordings that we hear in Hephaestus is a, a woman named Anya Andersdotter, which sounds a bit like Ayn Rand's daughter. <laughs> but her name is Anya Andersdotter. Anyways, it just sounds kind of funny. Pretty cool name. Hmm. Um, let's see. So, yeah, like at the end of that, you're, you know, Atlas gets back on. What happened? You've been trying to, yeah. you know, like talk to you. Time to head to Hephaestus. Time to settle things with Ryan. You get there. Uh, Atlas says, watch yourself. Ryan's stirring. We best keep to our knitting. It's time to either run the table or go home empty. Ryan's got the genetic key to rapture. We get that from him and we get out of this hellhole. We don't, then you and I are ghosts. Now, would you kindly head to Ryan's office and kill the son of a bitch? It's time to finish this. That is where Jack would no longer have any free will. Yes. This is this is what we learned. Let's. I guess maybe we should just go there now. Why not? <laughs> this is kind of like the big um, reveal uh, twist of the game here, right? Is that um, there's a certain point you reach as you're heading up to Ryan's office where you, you learn about this uh, conditioning, like psychological conditioning. I don't know what the term for it is, where there's a phrase somebody can say and like that yes. phrase, like... Um, like a Manchurian candidate? Yeah. Right? Right. Uh, when it's the, a when trigger they, word. Or, yeah, like yeah, like a trigger word where when that the, phrase the, yeah. is uttered... Like for a, cell, like a sleeper cell. You've been uh, programmed to yeah. obey that phrase. So... Yeah. Uh, one of the people involved, like like where we, I guess Jack is a victim mm. of the experiments that these awful people have been doing, uh, like the little sisters. Obviously, not the same ones, not the Bridget Tenenbaum stuff, but right. from a, a different person, from Fontaine himself, mm. um, who essentially conditioned us to when we hear the word, the words, "Would you kindly." Um, we have no choice. We have to go do it now. So that was what I was referring to uh, as being on the note on the airplane in the first scene of the game. Um, that uh, on the on the the present from his mom and dad. Oh yeah. He looks at the photo. Ba ba that's the photo he keeps seeing. By the way, like the mother oh, and father. Oh, I didn't. Flashing on the screen. Okay, okay. It's this photograph. Oh, nice. Um, you, you see that flash on the screen multiple times. And then uh, he pulls up the present here, and it says... To Jack, with love, from Mom and Dad, would you kindly not open until... Would, would you kindly not open until something, right? right. So, yeah, that, the trigger word is on there. Um, and there's, I think, an implication here that Jack was responsible for this plane crash. Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah. And that "would you kindly" was probably the trigger word that like, even reading it—that's interesting. Yeah, I, I, my understanding. I wonder if reading a trigger word is the same as hearing. It. <laughs> yeah, I wonder about that. Huh. Anyway, so this is something that we learn about here, uh, and yeah. that uh, the entire time throughout the game, Atlas has been using this phrase "would you kindly this," "would you kindly mm -hmm. that." Um, so it's like kind of the big twist that "would you kindly" anytime he was saying that you didn't have really any choice. Uh, you were basically being brought here and Atlas is revealed to be Fontaine, yeah. who everyone thought was dead, but is not. Um, but Atlas yes. was his like alter ego, right? Diane McClintock has a lot of uh, diaries later on talking about Atlas. She like sort of, oh, yeah. 
she does the whole polarity thing, but we'll, we'll have to get into that next time where you abandon one thing for the other thing. That whole thing we brought up last time about oh, okay. the two sides of the same coin. Yes, okay, two, yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, Opposites, yeah. She abandons okay. Andrew Ryan, her love of Andrew Ryan, and, yeah. and just goes to Atlas. And <laughs> basically, it's, it's the, it, it perfectly summarizes the whole point we've been making on that. Right, but, it, that's actually similar to something that does happen in Atlas Shrugged as well. Oh, really? Yeah, Okay. where it just... Uh, there's some some cheating that happens, and yeah. you just follow your personal self-interest. Right. So that's kind of like the big reveal of this section. That kind of comes towards the end of it. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll go through and look at some of the dialogue and some of the, you know, uh, interesting diaries and things like that to, to go through. But that's kind of like the big reveal, and then that, that all comes to a head when yeah. you actually encounter Andrew Ryan. And that scene's like really crazy itself. It's... Like nuts. <laughs> yes. But it um, is. Uh, let's see. What is your next note like before getting to all this? It, it's just a line from Andrew Ryan. He starts kind of explaining himself. He knows we're like at his doorstep. He knows what's coming, right? Um, one of the lines here that I wrote down is Andrew Ryan saying, "It it was not impossible to build Rapture at the bottom of the sea. It was impossible to build it anywhere else." He's talking about the regulations and um, uh, what do you, what would you call it? Um, the difficulties of um, owning your own property and of operating and doing what he wants to do when there's a government involved. And so he was saying that the only place to have built it was the bottom of the sea. Yes. Um, I thought that was actually a really good line. Um, yeah, I liked that one too. Like, um, it's not, Im- it wasn't impossible yeah. to have built Rapture at the bottom of the sea. It was impossible yeah. to have built it anywhere else. That's, I think. That was a great line. Yeah. I thought it was a really good line. That's awesome. Um, you, he slowly starts to say some things that you maybe start to feel less off, or you start to hate Andrew Ryan less through this this sequence here. He starts giving his best arguments, like, <laughs> and, which is kind of true. At the end of Atlas Shrug, John Galt gives this big, like, billion-page speech. And then same thing with the Fountainhead. In the court, um, it's Howard Rourke. He's got, he gives his whole spiel at the end of the book, you know. Um, and so this is more or less Andrew Ryan's version of that. He's like, all right, here, I'm going to go on. I'm going to tell you the real thing. Here's, like, what's actually going on. Um, he calls our arrival a miracle, Right. But to someone who doesn't believe in God, a miracle is code for something that's too good to be true or too, like, that he, he's basically insinuating that there's something else going on here. Um, he says also, as we drag him towards the abyss, we get closer to it as well. Mm-hmm. That was a really good line. Um, he suggests that we have nostalgia for the place that we're at, which is super interesting. Yes. Um, so then we get more and more flashbacks, right? Boom, boom, boom. And I'm just like, hey, this is our family. We used to live here. Um, anyways, it's really good. But then once again, Atlas tells us we're right about to see Ryan. Yep. And I, I, I just didn't believe him. I did <laughs> at this point. I was like, no, we aren't. Stop talking to me. Stop telling me this. Um, but we actually do. We see actually him do. Yeah. Um, I really liked this diary entry from Bill Bagnata again. Ryan nationalized Fontaine Futuristics. He owns it now. Lock, stock, and barrel. So he took Fontaine's So he company. became the government. That's yep. so funny. Yep. Was so He was so against that. I know. He, again, he, he resorted to all the things yep, that yep, he yep. tried to get away from to try to keep control of this Well, place. because his personal self-interest shifted from, um, what would you call it, subverting 
government control to once he had a thing, yes. his self-interest became preserving that thing, which right. meant a reinstitution of that same governmental control. That is actually a really, again, astute point that I had not considered, but that is like super, I think a really, like I think it's a really good counter to, or maybe like a whole, and of course there's going to be someone in the comments who have a way around this and I welcome it. I'm not yes, saying, please, please, I'm not please. saying, you know, please, you know, share your perspective on it. But if self-interest is at the heart of the whole ideology of objectivism, right? Yeah. And like you're saying, at the beginning, escaping those in power or yes. or because whatever becomes that's power. your self-interest. Yes. But then once you get into power, yeah. your self-interest changes yep. to exactly what their self-interest was. Exactly. So yes, yes, yes. at the yeah. heart of objectivism, if self-interest is what it's all about, I, I, I'm sure there are people who are going to say that's not it or that there's context around that. Sure, right? that's fine. Uh but this is this is essentially what would happen to somebody who yes. maybe is uh, bastardizing the ideals or, or putting self-interest in the wrong context at the heart of what they're doing, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, I yeah. think that's more or less it. Um, so he says he'll break it up in due time, he says, you know, his ownership of oh, yeah. Fontaine Futuristics. They all say that. <laughs> I've resigned from the council and lodged my letter of protest. But that's just pissing in the wind. It'll be war, I say, unless somebody stops Ryan and right fast. So even his his like most loyal followers yeah. were starting to turn on him because oh, totally. he had completely abandoned his ideals. You know what's great, though? They would have done the same thing if they were in his position. Probably, yes. They would have put up hedges and protected themselves in that position. Yeah. So I really liked that. Okay, here's, here's, an interesting, here's an interesting one from Andrew Ryan here. A worm looks up and sees the face of God, but look around. It's a regular convention of worms in here. They all had mothers, fathers, people who loved them. They got married, after uh, their wives. What makes you think you're any different? I haven't chosen to spot for you on the. I haven't chosen a spot for you on the wall yet. Let me know if you have a preference. So the whole God complex just continues. Yes. Um, Bill McDonough again, um, I never killed a man, let alone a mate, but this is what things come to. I don't know if killing Mr. Ryan will stop the war, but I know it won't stop while that man breathes. I love Mr. Ryan, but I love rapture, and if I have to kill one to save the other, so be it. Mm, right. um, so you go on a little further. Andrew Ryan says, how like all parasites who ever tried to walk in stolen shoes... <laughs> I'd explain the science that renders what you're trying to do impossible. That would be like playing Mozart, Mozart for a tree frog. So this is where you're trying to like get into his. <laughs> yes, I love that. Yeah, That's so good. You're trying to get into his office, right? And like, yeah, yeah. there's a whole mechanism here uh, that you have to go like. You basically have to go assemble a bomb. Mm -hmm. um, you have to follow the notes of who's the scientist. Let me look no, it up. I'll see it here in a minute. Um. Is it Pablo Navarro? I don't think so. Maybe it is. Yeah, it is Pablo Navarro. So there's this guy, Pablo Navarro. You, you have to basically follow the instructions he's left in his diaries to assemble this bomb that will short circuit uh, 
the the mechanism that lets you get into the office. That's kind of like okay. the best way I can summarize like the the objective of this level, right? So you're kind of just like going around collecting the parts. Mm-hmm. And and most of the levels are the same. They have you get into an area, you need to collect a certain number of things and then like assemble the thing. Yeah. <laughs> and then like you, once you complete that, then the level's over. Yeah. So yeah. in this one that's what it does. That's right? what it is. Um, Ryan also says his strength is not in steel or fire, but in his intellect and will. Yep. Um, that's a good line. Oh, this is a really good one, too. He says, in the end, all that matters to me is me, and all that matters to you is you. Mm-hmm. It is the nature of things. Um, I really like a villain that speaks the truth technically, right? Yeah. Like in a way that's hard to argue with, almost impossible to argue with, uh, but that makes you know deep in your gut that he's wrong, right? There's, mm-hmm. You know that he's wrong, but you can't. You don't like, know that, how to that's not articulate refutable, how you're wrong. <laughs> which is really good. That's actually a, a big theme in uh, the book, The Brothers Karamazov by mm. Dostoevsky. Um, it's Alyosha, I think. There, there's the one brother that is very much um, like, he, 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 he feels with his heart. He's not as smart, right? His brother will just, you know, tell him all these things about why he's wrong. But And, and basically his brother has all the good arguments. But at the end of the book, it's like, no... Um, he's the one that was right, right? Mm. Even though he couldn't prove it intellectually or rationally, right? He was right. Um, and that's the idea here is that like when, when the villain comes to you with these hard truths, right? But it's like, no, there's something about that that it doesn't have to be that way, right? Like yeah. maybe you are right technically, but it doesn't have, it does, you aren't necessarily right. Yeah. Um, but anyways, a villain who just, it's truth. He's not just saying something that's obviously stupid and wrong, you know? Yeah, right. It's like, and it would be very difficult for me to counter that by saying, no, I like to do this or this. And it's like, yeah, but that's for you. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then he also, this is a great one too. Even in the book of lies, which is the Bible, right? Yeah. You Sometimes you find the truth. There is indeed a season for all things. That's a, um, Ecclesiastes chapter yep. three, right? Mm-hmm. And now I see you in the flesh, blood to blood. I know I cannot raise my hand against you. I think I just jumped ahead to where we got A little got bit in. to where you're actually yes. talking to him, yeah. But know this, you are my greatest disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> blood to blood, right? So once we get into the door, this is where we realize that he's our father, we're yep. his kid. Yep. Um, and I was, I wrote, oh my gosh, no way. Um yeah, this was this was pretty cool. I sort of sort of saw it coming, but I didn't know the specifics, right? Yeah. I didn't know exactly, but I kind of had guessed it. But this is this was a pretty big deal, realizing that we're his son and that he's our father, right? And it's so interesting that he doesn't kill us. Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting, I found it. Yeah. Come now, my child, he calls us. Oh, it's so awkward. This guy who we've been brought up to hate, right? When you finally actually see him. And it's a different situation, right? It's different. Mm-hmm. You don't just kill him. Although I think I think the game at this point doesn't let you just kill him. You're kind of we are in a sort of cutscene. Yeah. Right. Like the hands come down. And yeah. Right. <laughs> all that stuff. <laughs> right. Um, let's see here. Before I get into that scene you're talking about, there's another one from Bill yeah. McDonough again. Genetic arms race. I begged Mr. Ryan to hand Fontaine futuristics. Oh, I read that one. Sorry. No, no, I didn't. To hand Fontaine Futuristics over to Atlas's boys as a peace offering, but the stupid sod won't listen to reason. Instead, he's just splicing his mob up, giving them more and tougher plasmids. There's an arms race on here uh, in Rapture, Uh, but it's not about who can build the best guns and the biggest bombs. It's about who can become less of a man and more of a monster. 
really like that line. That's a lot. pretty good. Yeah, that's <laughs> a really good line. Um, okay, I think. Oh, and there's "Would you kindly" written on the wall, like in blood. Yes, like this is red. And then you see this board of all these pictures and all these connections, kind of like Charlie from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yes. And it's just like, boom, it's all figured out, but you still don't know exactly what's going on at that point. And I think at that point, there's an audio diary that kind of explains it a little bit Mm -hmm. that says like, is it correct to say that we are only a couple of years old? Um... At the time that this conditioning was going on, I think I so. Know. I think like I think we were taken like 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 it was alluding to in, with yeah, the jasmine on. stuff. I mean, like the egg was taken from jasmine, the 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 fertilized egg, and yes. we were like grown in a lab and we, born exactly. That way. Yes. No, I I actually, but I mean, literally, I I think through what I heard that we are technically only like four or five years old. Oh, they, they like did the a character thing to like now yeah, currently. They, they did a thing to accelerate the growth. Jack was born and grown. Yep, by the scientists of Fontaine Futuristics. Dr. Yi Chong. All right, let me read this whole thing here. Okay. Jack is the illegitimate son of Andrew Ryan and Jasmine Jolene, Ryan's lover. While pregnant, Jolene uh, suffered some financial difficulties and decided to sell Jack as an embryo Mm. to Dr. Bridget Tenenbaum on behalf of Frank Fontaine. Oh, so it was Tenenbaum. I said earlier, I ah. thought it was somebody, maybe Tenenbaum ended up giving him, oh, on behalf of Fontaine. So Fontaine was still the one who did the conditioning. Okay. But yeah. So Tenenbaum, who is so yeah. now concerned about these little girls yeah. who, you know, she has this motherly instinct towards now. She should have a similar motherly instinct, I would think, toward us, who she took as a little embryo. She and sort of grew does a little lab. bit later on. Yeah, it you seems can that see way. That a little bit. So yeah. this is what I really like about something I'll talk about later. I, mm-hmm. I, I think we're starting to connect the little sisters and Jack yeah, as being yeah. similar victims of a similar sort sure. of uh, crime, having yes. suffered you know similar traumas. So yes. I, I just want to make note of that. Um, okay, so. Jack was to be Fontaine's backup plan if he was ever forced into an unfavorable situation by Ryan, which happened during Rapture's Civil War. So Fontaine did this, set this whole thing up as like a as a plan B to get back at Ryan, whatever. Jack was born and grown by the scientists of Fontaine Futuristics, including Dr. Yi Shuang and Bridget Tenenbaum. According to audio diaries by Dr. Yi Shuang, who was responsible for Jack's development, Jack, by the age of one, yeah, weighed 58 pounds yep. and had the gross musculature of a fit 19-year-old, yeah. thanks to Lot 111. Dr. Shuang also reveals in another audio diary that he was responsible for the mind control imprinting that Frank Fontaine requested. Uh, so, yeah, Shuang was the... The guy who was, because there is an audio diary you hear, and you hear a little boy saying, no, I don't want to kill the dog. And he's right, like, kill yeah. that dog, right? Would you kindly? Would you kindly? Yeah. And he like forces him to do it. So that yes. was Dr. Schwong who was doing the conditioning right. on behalf again of Frank Real Fontaine. quick, um, do they say the name of the doctor during the thing? Uh, Schwong? Yeah. Yes, I believe so. Oh, okay. I remember that name. So yes, I think okay. so. Because I, I thought it was uh, Su Chong. I thought oh, Su Chong. Right. You're probably right. I'm probably saying it wrong. Yi Su Chong. Chong. It's a Korean, I think. Yi yeah. Su Chong. Su Chong. Uh, you're, you're correct. Okay. I'm saying it wrong. Okay, okay. Jack's similar genetic structure to Andrew Ryan meant that he would be able to use the city's bathosphere that were in lockdown. Oh. Because he has the genetic keys, the same genes. Oh. So he can unlock all the same things, I guess. Oh, right. Um, be resurrected at Vita Chambers. Uh, and the automated security of Rapture would not be as effective against him. 
Sometime in 1958, before Fontaine faked his own death in a shootout with uh, Chief of Security Sullivan's forces, Jack was smuggled out of Rapture in a bathysphere and sent to the surface as a sleeper agent. Here's the one thing about this game um, that it's not necessarily a criticism per se. It's more just like a, this is what the game is, and so it can be kind of hard for me personally to follow. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, me too. I'm having a while really, playing really hard time following the yeah the different storylines while playing because yeah, yeah. you're listening to an audio log. But yes. you're being attacked by a freaking like big daddy at the same time, <laughs> yeah. or you're trying to like look at the map or and figure out where to go next, or because yeah, yeah. um, there's constantly you hear audio going. noises from splicers around you, and you're like, yeah. oh, where's that guy at? And it can be so distracting yeah. while like in the moment of playing the game that there's a lot of things you can miss. Oh, totally. Um, so I know I that I do you. all the time, yeah, yeah. and so like th- it was an interesting experience trying to prepare to talk about the game. Uh-huh. Uh, because it almost requires that you play through the section and then go read the freaking script <laughs> in order to actually get a I handle on everything that yeah. really happened there while you were distracted getting killed by people right. while the audio log still played on or, or while somebody I was talking to you. I was getting you. audio logs at not the correct linear, what would you call oh, it? Oh, sure, you're getting the them out timing. of order yeah, or whatever. Yeah, out of order, chronological order. Yeah, and so it's like I'm trying to re I'm trying to construct each separate storyline separately on in and of its own, and then once I get that constructed, I have to fit it into the greater story of what's happening. Yeah. It's really it's really hard. And again, that's not to say this is a bad thing or something to necessarily complain about or, or say it's a yeah. fault or flaw of the game. Um, it, it could be that you know it, it's kind of fun to like put right. those pieces together and to play and then, the game multiple times. Or exactly, whatever. you get a second, third playthrough. It gives you more value, and it's like, oh, I didn't realize this, you know. But I'm just saying, for the purpose of this podcast, it makes it hard <laughs> yes. to just play through the chapters we talked yes, about, absolutely. and then to come ready with everything, like in a, in all your ducks in order, so yeah. to speak. Um, you know, I think there was somebody who had commented on it. Doesn't seem like your note taking is up to your usual standard and it's not because I can't take notes while I'm being attacked by freaking things and the audio log still plays and I I, I can't like rewatch the We need our RPGs, man. (laughs) Right. Now, you know, if this was my full-time job and my entire work day was dedicated to, to researching Bioshock, it maybe would be a different story. You know, maybe I would read the script three times and, uh, you know, play play through the game multiple times. And I have done that with some other games because they're shorter or whatever it might be. Uh, The point is, it's just, it's a difficult game to analyze for this reason because it takes a lot of extra time to put it all in order, to read them all very thoroughly, make sure you understand what they're saying (laughs) Uh while you're not in danger of dying and being attacked. So anyway... If if it's been annoying you, I apologize for that. You know, I'll try to keep in mind when we move on to maybe the next Bioshock game or a similar style game uh, in the future that it's yeah, going to take a little like this a little more time often. to uh, go back through and listen to or read all of the audio diaries again, outside of just getting them and listening to them in the game. Like yeah. I would try to get one, go into a corner somewhere like play and listen to it while I'm out of danger oh, when sure. I could. Yes. Yeah, but yeah. like, that's not always the case. No, it's right? not always so it's, ju- it's just tough yeah. for that reason. Um, also, I just took a note here. I can't remember what this is specifically about, but just the word resurrection. I heard as they were talking 
something about the word resurrection, that there's this big thing. And I was like, oh, somebody's going to be resurrected. Mm. I put the words, of course, dot, dot, dot. My thinking was that we were secretly this whole time resurrecting Ryan, Mm. Andrew Ryan, that he died actually Mm. forever ago. And Atlas is like pretending to be against him, but they're actually together. And that we were through this whole thing and pretending how evil Ryan is and it's pre-recorded stuff they've been playing the whole time, um, that we were resurrecting Andrew Ryan this whole time. That's what I thought at this point in the game because we had not yet opened the door to actually see Andrew Ryan. Um, I really liked this one. Uh, great chain moves slowly from Andrew Ryan. The great chain is, is the whole thing he's been talking about, right? The great chain moves slowly. Is there blood in the streets? Of course. Have some chosen to destroy themselves with careless splicing? Undeniable. But I will make no proclamations. I will dictate no laws. The great chain moves slowly, but with wisdom. It is our impatience that invites it uh, that invites in the parasite of big government. But and humans once, are impatient. <laughs> yep. And once you've invited it in, it will never stop feeding on the body of the city. Very true. But he, yeah, once again, he's, he's a hypocrite. Hypocrite, but also <laughs> just uh, the ideal does not live up to yes. reality of human nature. Yeah, they don't meet. They don't meet. They're, they're too separate. Yeah. Um, another note here I just wrote down. Objectivism requires people to be reasonable and rational in order to work. Yep. But that's just something humans have a hard, not. hard time doing. Yeah. Right. And that's Ken Levine's whole point, I think. Yeah. Is that, yeah, it would be nice, but humans, uh, if the splicing is available, the people are going to splice. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So I think I've reached the end of Hephaestus, and we can get to Rapture Central Control, which is where you actually see him face to face. Yes. Um, you've already read some of these quotes, so I won't go over those again. Um, so Atlas sets the core of rapture to self-destruct. Yeah. He says, um, this is different than what you did when we put the bomb thing in there, right? Mm. He's got a mind to take down the whole damn city, get in there and whack the chump before the whole joint blows. So we got Su Chong, Yi Su Chong here. Mm-hmm. Initial deployment, mm-hmm. Vita Chamber Client Ryan Industries. Stage one is complete. Sinclair and Alexander tried to explain the science to me, but Su Chong does not believe them. They keep saying plasmid reconstruction this and quantum entanglement that, and then poof, dead people come back to life. Bullshit, of course. Uh, Ryan will only allow it to be tuned to his genetic frequencies for the testing. That's where that's where I took the note on resurrection. Yes. Where I'm like, oh, we're bringing Ryan back. Right. So it's tuned to his specific genetics. Right? It was, yes, it was, Yes. but not for him. I know, I didn't, <laughs> um, I... I I sort of, I'd, anyways, I just didn't get the whole the whole picture yet. It, it's actually kind of clever because it oh, yeah. gives them a game-related reason to keep bringing you back to life when you die all the time. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and at first it's kind of like, yeah. it's weird. It almost feels like there's no consequence in dying. No. I almost, if there was a while where I stopped bothering to heal. Oh, sure. Because it was like, if, died, if I die, whatever, I'll just go back. But like, Well, and then you uh, keep your items, right? You keep and your so, items. Yeah, don't use them. And you keep uh, the same, like your enemies have health bars that are still down. Ah, so if yeah, you're fighting right, a big right. daddy, yeah, yeah. there's no point in healing because once he kills you, yeah. you'll just resurrect and come back. And however much damage you took off him is still gone. Mm-hmm. And so you just go back and fight him again. He kills you again. You go back <laughs> again and you don't have to heal. So you can just like yeah, uh, right. hoard your... Your health bags. For, yeah, the boss. So, anyways, but 
Hmm. So, but the Vita chambers, I mean, this is, this was part of the whole plan. Hmm. Like the Vita chambers, the technology for that was like Ryan's DNA, his genetic key. He's supposed to be the only one who can use these things. Yeah. But that's why Fontaine needed that. Uh, uh, paid yes, Jasmine to do all of this so that yeah. he could get the uh, somebody with the genes of Ryan to use all of the things that Fontaine could not use because yeah. he doesn't have the genetic key and send someone in there who'd be able to actually kill Ryan and get to him. So it's pretty it's pretty clever, like when all's explained and it's all said and done. Yeah, just... um, so we already read a lot of this. Okay, here's the one with the puppy. This one kind of broke my heart. <laughs> um, yeah. Mind control test. Uh, Yi Shu, uh, Su Chang, is that your puppy? She's very pretty. Little boy says, thank you, Papa Su Chang. This is Jack. Mm. Yi Su Chang, break her neck for me. Little boy says, what? Su Chang, break that sweet puppy's neck. Little boy, no, please. Yi Su Chang, break that puppy's neck, would you kindly? This is, I think, when, the first time I played the game when I realized would you kindly was yeah. the trigger word. I was like, mm. oh, no way. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what? That was the moment. It, it was, was listening to this. Yeah, and I think we were around, when we listened to this, we're around that room where Would You Kindly is written on the wall. Mm -hmm. Now, who wrote that? Uh, that's a good question. That actually brings up a whole other topic of like exposition in yeah. games written on walls like this. Like in <laughs> horror games, they will always yeah. have people who write messages to you in blood. It's yes, like, would always. people actually do that? <laughs> you know, for your environmental storytelling or whatever? Yeah. Like, yeah, who spray painted would you kindly <laughs> in blood on the I wall? Know, and so why strange. would you do that? Other than to have a moment of impact for the player coming in and realizing what the, what the trigger word is. Yes, but exactly. Anyway. Also, how does Andrew Ryan know the trigger word? And all of everything related to that. Um, well, obviously he, I mean, I don't know if they explain it technically, but I mean, yeah. I'm sure he's got his spies, okay. his people so looking into knew, Fontaine, same time Fontaine's looking then into Then he him. knew he had a son. Oh, by this time, by the time we arrive, sure. Cause oh, he, I thought it was a surprise. Because once we show up, he goes, oh, now that I see your face. Now I get it, right? I don't think Andrew maybe, got it before that. Maybe he didn't want to believe it, or maybe he... Um, didn't want to accept it kind of a thing. It's like, okay. I'm going to, even if you are my son, like I'm not going to accept that. Sure. That you are, I'm going to treat you okay. like a parasite. But like once you're actually in my presence, it, the, the fatherly instinct kicks in. <laughs> like the motherly something. instinct with a Maybe it's bomb. one of those types of things, ah, you know? Maybe, maybe. Uh, I don't know for sure, but that's my best guess. Um, <clears throat> okay. Uh, we get Andrew Ryan talking to us. The assassin has overcome my final defense, and now he's come to murder me in the end. What separates a man from a slave? Money? Power? No. A man chooses, a slave obeys. A man chooses. A you slave think obeys. you have memories. A farm, oh, yeah. a family, an airplane, See, a crash. How does, how does he know all of this? Andrew Ryan? It's a good question. Um, I just, I don't know. Is it just, maybe somebody can answer this. Maybe I'll pull up uh, Discord here real quick. Um, is this just plot convenience that Andrew Ryan knows all this? Is, I mean, he's been observing us somehow, been talking to us somehow. True, he's been talking and watching. Um, but he knows our memories, he's, which I don't think have been read out loud. He's, I mean, I'm certainly got people working for him, the, 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 the city's uh, systems, you know, like defense systems and, and security systems and... Uh, and um, surveillance and all of that. Hmm. Maybe he's been able to listen in on Atlas at certain points. 
because Atlas isn't talking to us yeah. all the time, so maybe he realizes, I, I don't know, maybe he realizes it's Fontaine, maybe he's surveilling him somehow, maybe he's learned this information because he's got access to the whole city's surveillance. That would, okay. that would be I mean, my best guess. I mean, if it's guess. written on the wall, really right next to his <laughs> office, <laughs> it's, would you kindly, maybe with all this Maybe he learned all of this shortly before we arrived yeah. in the city. Like, learned of the plan okay. before we actually got there. I don't know. I don't know. If somebody if somebody knows that, if that's revealed somewhere, please let me know. Yes. Um, okay. And, of course, a slave obeys, right? We've got the tattoos. The, the chain on the... Chains on our wrists. So on our it's wrists. like we are, yeah. we are slaves. Yep. To the great chain. Yep. A farm, a family, an airplane, a crash, and then this place. Was there really a family... Did that airplane crash, or was it hijacked, forced down? So this is where you learned this, I guess. You were asking about when. But specifically the fact that it was a gun, not a bomb. Oh, that. Yeah, okay. Uh, Forced down by something less than a man, something bred to sleepwalk through life until you were activated by a simple phrase spoken by their kindly master. Was a man sent to kill or a slave? A man chooses, a slave obeys. Come in. So then you step inside the office. He kind of looks like Walt Disney a little bit. He does. He's he's very heavily backlit. You don't see his face very well initially, right? I don't know why that matters because we don't know what we look like. So how would we know? But Um, Mix is bringing up here that he had figured out Jasmine had sold his son. So I mean, I I guess he he became privy to the plan at some point before we got there. Okay, I guess so. how he knew about the plane specifically. I mean, the plane crashed into the city. I mean, there's an airplane that crashed, and then we arrived after yes, that happened. but it's more of the Kansas, the, the specific memories, like, yeah, you know, interesting. Uh, Andrew Ryan says, slop, would you kindly? Would you kindly? Uh, powerful phrase. Familiar phrase? Sit, would you, because this is where you re- realize Atlas has been saying yeah, this to you the stop. whole game. Sit. Sit, would you kindly? It's not slop, it's stop. Oh, is this what you stop? <laughs> the guy who <laughs> wrote this constantly freaking made mistakes. Yeah. I should stop looking up uh, game scripts on... It's like it's like game FAQs specifically. Yeah, yeah. They... they well, they're just done by whoever... I know, Mo, yeah, but yeah. like, do they not have spell check? Well, I guess slop <laughs> would pass a spell check, but anyways. <laughs> it would. <laughs> anyway. That's funny. Do they read their thing or do they just upload it as soon as they're done like copy <laughs> stop would you kindly would you kindly powerful phrase familiar phrase sit would you kindly stand would you kindly run stop turn a man chooses mm-hmm. a slave obeys and the whole time jack is doing everything he's telling him right kill a man chooses a slave obeys obey so he basically commands you to kill him yep at this point yep uh, and I, you, you I have a, this, like a golf club, and you just like that's keep right. He gives it hitting to him in the head with it, yes. and he gets up and keeps making you do it over and over again. Yeah, he gives you the tool of his own death. Yep, and he just stands there, and he he commits suicide. Like he yep. dies right then and there. Mm. Um, and that is very interesting. I, I I guess he said previously that he would rather die than, or if he had to die so the rapture could continue, that he would. So in some ways, because I'm trying to see this through the lens of selfishness, right? Yeah. What was the self-interest in this? What was the self-interest here? Because I don't think it was an altruistic sacrifice where he was just like, oh, I will die because I can't kill you. 
if he was going to do that, he'd have shot himself in the head and not had us kill him because that's not that's kind of traumatizing. Um, so, but I could see something along the lines of he sees us as maybe the heir of rapture, and if he dies, then we will just naturally rise to this great level where we will continue to lead rapture, and then maybe we'd turn on Atlas, which we do. <laughs> right. So it's not that he was totally wrong about that, um, but it's just the weirdest thing. I did not expect this at all. I did not expect that we would just kill him and that he would allow himself to be killed given everything that he's talked about given his his will to power given his drive for success that he was just like oh i'll just die now and it was his his personal choice to do that right i think that that kind of plays along with what he's saying here he wants to be seen as making a choice in this oh sure like he tried oh, to because he's not a slave Yes. It, no one, he chose to die. Oh, that's good. Yes. A man chooses. So. I choose to die. This, you kill me. That's this crazy. Entire that's good. That's good. game, he's been talking to us, down to us like we're a parasite. Like, yeah, yeah. you know. So obviously, at some point, he realized, I'm not going to be able to stop this assassin from killing me. Yeah. So how do I take control of that situation and be a man instead of a slave. To die a man and not die a slave. Yes. He, he be, knees, uh, the way that I took life. this was that he decided to choose to die yes. in order to like prove a point and be on his own terms and that sure. I'm a man sure. and you're a slave and make that point yeah. as like, uh, well, really to just like take one final jab at Jack. Yeah. Uh, uh, knowing that he wasn't going to get away with his life at this point. That's Fair that's enough. the way I Fair interpreted enough. it. Uh, I think Mix is saying something similar here. Um, he'd rather die in his own terms than be killed. I choose my own death, maybe. I decide I uh, when I die. Uh, he says, I think of uh, Krilov and Dostoevsky's Devils. If the fear of death determines a part of the human condition, then overcoming the fear of death by suicide is becoming God. Interesting. Ryan turned a plan, a planned assassination into his final last laugh. That's similar uh, to that how works. I saw I, it. I, I buy it. Yeah. I buy it. Especially when there isn't a choice. So he no. has to create a choice yes. <laughs> to have, right? <laughs> Just like playing Because I'm going to die. Yeah. I now, like against my will, this thing is going to happen. I'm going to co-opt that situation mm. into one in which, no, I'm the one who cho chose to do it. Secretly, I wanted to die the whole time. That's you, nobody the, knew. That's the selfish yeah, yeah. part of the decision. But that's crazy because he really did do something that's very difficult for everybody, which is yes. overcome the fear of death. Yes. That's, I mean, I don't know. He, he's, a, he's a pretty powerful person, I'd say. <laughs> well, when you're that, I don't know, completely like almost enslaved to the ideals that you adhere to, right? Like you, you cannot right. stand to have them uh, holes poked in them or to be shown yeah. that they're wrong. And you right. must go yeah. to the grave proving that they're right. I suppose. This may be one way to do that. Yes. And it would be better to die proving you're right <laughs> than to be assassinated. <laughs> that's so, right? that's good. But at the same time, he has compromised on so many of his own principles. That's true. Throughout the I don't think rapture, he would say that he did. Obviously, he has. You're right. I think he's deluded enough to think that he hasn't. Yes, that's probably true. <laughs> <laughs>
I, I think true. in his mind he didn't. Yeah. But clearly he did. I mean, yeah. like, <laughs> I don't know how he could have betrayed them any worse than he did, any more yeah. than he did. Yeah. But I don't think he believed that because yeah. that would be that would protection. be worse than. That that'd probably be the worst thing would be to accept that he betrayed his ideals and so oh yeah uh, he's just he's just completely deluded just yeah. totally deluded to his own hypocrisy that makes perfect sense the idea that we show up here and we kill our father is interesting an interesting twist um because I didn't okay so okay so a couple episodes ago I brought up the belly of the beast rescue rescue your father right from yes. the belly of the beast. I didn't know who our father I I didn't know that he was Andrew Ryan first of all and um I didn't realize we were going to end up killing him. Now, the craziest thing is that this still fits that archetype, right? You there's different ways to rescue your father and different stories have explored the different ways and often stories do end in you killing your father, right? Yeah. And um, who is, I think his name is Vlad- Vladimir Prop. I think his first name is Vladimir. I can't remember. I can't look it up now because we don't have internet. But his last name is Prop. And he wrote a book called The Morphology of the Folktale. And it's really good. But it's ba- he's basically the Joseph Campbell of Eastern Europe. And he was, I think he was Russian. Um, and he analyzed a bunch of Russian and, and Slavic fairy tales. Um, and he came up with this idea that he felt like the core central story is something along the lines of killing killing the father or killing the father-in-law, mm. right? So he talks about you marry a woman, and then the goal is to kill her father. <laughs> okay, anyways, there, there's weird stuff, and obviously there's some Freudian psychology here um, with the Oedipus complex and how you know, he ends up killing his father throughout that Greek myth, um, and that that's part of Freud's psychology was that, like, you know, you, you, you're jealous of the father and you want the mother to yourself. And so you want to kill the father, right? Mm. There's, that's just an idea. Yeah. It's not, I'm not saying every Russian folktale ends with somebody wanting to kill their dad, <laughs> but there, that there's some inherent drive there. And a lot of these, a lot of these people, even Campbell himself were, were very Freudian, um, in the way that they thought of these things. So I want to read this line from Joseph Campbell from the hero with a thousand faces about the atonement with the father. He says, the problem of the hero going to meet the father is to open his soul beyond terror to such a degree that he will be ripe to understand how the sickening and insane tragedies of this vast and ruthless cosmos are completely validated in the majesty of being. In some ways, he's talking a little bit about killing God. Because mm. when you talk about killing your father, you're, you're slaying your, the superego that Freud would argue, um, but also you're doing away with... Um, with, well, in a way, you're killing God. Anyways, there's some there's some JRPG stuff that. <laughs> um, but anyways, the idea here. So uh, Joseph Campbell continues: the hero transcends life with its particular blind spot, and for a moment rises to a glimpse of the source. He beholds the face of the Father. He understands, and the two are atoned. I love that at this point, when we meet the Father. We understand him better than we've understood him at any point. Mm-hmm. We, he does not try to kill us at all. He basically allows us to kill him. Now, you can say forces us to kill him, but I'm going to say allow. <laughs> he, he dies just like Darth Vader in the end. He's like, he, I will die. He would die. say allow. He had a I choice. He chose to let you do it. <laughs> <laughs> 
It was not a choice <laughs> from forced upon him. He yeah. made the choice. Jack, however, it's a different story. <laughs> um, but then at this point, we are now enemies with the person who was helping us this whole time, right? So starting from this point, Atlas becomes our enemy and not Andrew Ryan. And we, we, it, by killing Andrew Ryan, we actually are reconciled unto him. We understand him. We finally catch the glimpse of his vision. Um, we have our own issues, but the two, of, the two are brought together in a meaningful like reunion that does not, you know, that isn't just like a, a, a battle to the death, right? Well, somebody dies, but it wasn't, it's not the way that it, um, that I foresaw it going. Sure. Right. And then from this point on, it is as if the spirit of Andrew Ryan that is within us, we are both united in our joint um, opposition to Atlas now. Like mm-hmm. now the real goal wasn't Andrew Ryan. We have to kill Atlas. Yeah. Um, so anyways, there's, there's some... There's some just there's some really good stuff in there. Andrew Ryan is our father, but he's also like the god of rapture, right? Mm-hmm. He is powerful and mysterious. Killing the father is sometimes the same as saving the father. So, anyways, if that's hard to understand, read The Hero with a Thousand Faces. <laughs> it's a really good book. He doesn't talk a ton about killing the father. You'd have to read Morphology of the Folktale by Prop, which is a much denser book to get through. Um, yeah. But it's still really good. It's just... Uh, Got a little bit of a different focus, but he definitely talks more about killing the father. Yeah, um, and that's that's very Freudian, right? You have to you have to overcome your own superego to to get to the next stage in life. Hmm. All right. So after this, um, Atlas starts laughing. Nice work, boyo. He yes. basically reveals that he's Frank Fontaine the whole time. Yes, Frank Fontaine. Um, and he's you know, it, it's actually interesting. There's only been one diary entry previous to this point where Frayne Fontaine speaks and it is oh. uh, I remember not having like played his the actual game. voice yeah having played the game it's actually in the um the smuggler's hideout this this diary and there's a Frank Fontaine diary message in there and I remember on this playthrough going to like that's totally Atlas's voice he's just doing a different accent but like you just <laughs> don't never you don't pick though. up on it on your first playthrough but it's just funny, so funny because it's like you're listening to Atlas speak to you it's like that's the same tone the same that's the same guy yeah it's just doing an accent now <laughs> <laughs> often video games will yeah. use people and it's usually it's pretty hard to uh to like figure it out but i love it when 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 they'll do something like that like it's there like you could technically have guessed that earlier because the same guy is doing the same voice of Fontaine, and you could have seen that earlier, but you're yeah. not going to pick up on yeah, it. Yeah, that's like I love third, it. fourth, fifth playthrough. Yes, yeah. I love it when twists are done that way, and then you go yeah. back through it and go, oh, see, like, oh my gosh. there's one piece it's of evidence that I totally missed, you know? Uh, Mix has a really cool note here. Um, he says that uh, when Jack goes to confront his father, this is probably the first genuine connection uh, that Jack forms in this game, right? Uh, Jack is the Jacob who wrestles with the eternal father, with God. And after the reconciliation, my words, back to mix, he discovers who he really is, which is Israel, and the path that he must take thereafter. That's mm. very good. Um, that's very good mix. Yeah. Um, from Patreon, by the way. That's yeah. where the talking here is coming from. Yeah, we, we converse with our $10 patrons here yes. live while we record these. Um, okay, so I think we're going to leave off there. The next yep. uh, section is Olympus Heights. Uh, I'll say, just go ahead and like finish the game for next time. It may still be two more episodes, but um, we'll try and do it in one and see what happens. Yeah. Um, hey, what, which was a bigger shock, that, that Andrew Ryan was our father or that Atlas is Frank Fontaine? 
Andrew Ryan being the father for me. I think so. Yeah. But but <laughs> when I when I learned who Atlas was, I don't know. It was, it was pretty, still it was a pretty I mean, big it's show. All, I mean, this whole section is just full of just like what what, what for yeah, me yeah. the biggest surprise or like the, the, at least the hardest hitting surprise was the would you kindly phrase being a trigger, mm -hmm. and that I had been following somebody's orders and I was a slave the whole game. Oh, that yeah, to yeah. me was like the real big yeah. spoiler of the game. Not spoiler, the big re revelation. Reveal. To me, that, that was the, the most impactful reveal. Yeah. But all three of them are really good. Andrew Ryan's the father. Frank Fontaine was Atlas all along. Yeah. And the, the trigger phrase that you, okay, now what do I do? Like, this guy can control me. Like, well, how am I supposed to, how am I supposed to win now, right? Um, it's a really good sort of like belly of the whale situation to be in mm -hmm. where not only yeah. have I been tricked into doing all this or forced to, but like I can't even fight the guy who's making me do this because he can just tell right. me to kindly kill myself or to yeah, kindly yeah. do whatever. Yeah. Yep. And I have to do it. And so nothing. now what? Yeah. So the rest of the game is going to be about undoing that conditioning. Bridget yeah. Tenenbaum is going to help us with that. Um, the same one who wants us to help the little sisters again, connecting right. us with them having a similar, similar set of traumas and, and abuse and plight. Yeah. Right. Um, and so that's going to be kind of where the game's moving from here. Uh, Olympus Heights is the next area. So we'll continue with that point next time. Um, but thank you for joining us. Uh, I'm looking forward to reading some of the comments on this one in particular to see what some other people picked up during, um, Fort Frolic the Fort Frolic section or what we might have missed talking yeah. about. Um, but uh, appreciate you guys as always. Um, if you'd like to vote on Final Fantasy, which Final Fantasy game we play next, you have a few hours to do so if you want to join Patreon at $5 <laughs> or above and you can vote on that. I'll leave that up for the rest of today being Wednesday when this is released. All right, guys, we'll see you next week. Peace out.